It might feel like yesterday that we were talking about uh, the UN's climate change summit in Glasgow. But of course, over the weekend, uh, COP27 kicked off in Egypt. It's the first COP to be held on the African continent in uh, six years, and it's hoped it'll be a turning point for climate justice. But of course, it comes at a time of incredible political and economic instability, thither and yon. So can it be more than a talk fest? Now, to discuss this, I'm delighted to welcome back to the program Vanessa Nakate. Vanessa is a climate journalist or climate justice advocate from Uganda, founder of Rise Up Climate Movement and the author of A Bigger Picture, My Fight to Bring a New African Voice to the Climate Crisis. And yes, I'll remind you that she joined us for that marvellous conversation about her activism earlier this year. Also online, Dr Simon Bradshaw. Simon is Research Director at the Climate Council and he too is in Egypt. I welcome you both. Vanessa... Can you tell me why you chose to attend COP27 when other activists, like one of your heroes in Greta Thunberg, opted not to do so? Well, um, thank you so much. I chose to attend COP27 because I still have hope in humanity. I have hope in the power of the people to organize and mobilize for climate justice. And I still want to have hope in our leaders, that is the government and the business leaders, to take decisions that will ensure that the people and the planet are protected. And also when you come from a community that is on the front lines of the climate crisis, for me it's very important that my story and the stories, you know, my fellow and the people in our communities are listened to, amplified and platformed in these spaces. This has been described as the African COP, but other young activists from the continent say they're, um, well, they're struggling to get passes to go. Are you worried that African voices will once again not be heard as loudly as they should? Yes, it has been challenging for so many activists. And as we all know, this COP has been called the African COP um, for a very long time. And many activists have said that for this COP to live up to that name, there has to be representation of African activists, but also, you know, there has to be action that ensures that the people on the African continent that are already on the front lines of the climate crisis are protected. But we face so many challenges with having activists come to the COP and many of these challenges have been, you know, access to accreditation and access to funding. This is challenging and, you know, we always say every activist has a story to tell and every story has a solution to give and every solution has a life to change. But if we don't have these stories represented, we face a very big challenge. But the activists that were able to attend are looking forward to ensure that we can have climate justice for the communities on the front lines of the climate crisis. So you're facing barriers of accreditation, of funding, and then, of course, the complexities of COVID vaccinations. Simon, 
Speaking of uh, who isn't going to to to, uh, to Egypt, our own prime minister won't be attending. Is what sort of signal do you think that sends? Oh, good evening, Philip, and and I. We seem to have lost Simon for the moment. Are you there, Simon? More important than your own. I am here, Philip. Can okay. You hear me? Yes, I can again. Okay. Yes. Well, given the urgency of the climate crisis, what we've seen unfold this year, this extraordinary run of extreme weather disasters, and you know, given Australia's hope to co-host a future COP with the Pacific, we would certainly hope the Prime Minister would be here. Um, that said, it's really the substance, what Australia brings to the table in terms of new commitments that we're more interested in. It's, in, it's, interesting, it's interesting, Simon, that uh, Rishi Sunak found it necessary to uh, mm. suddenly become an enthusiastic attendee. That's right. And of course, leaders to be here, but absolutely we need to be hearing from those on the front lines of the climate crisis as well, from Vanessa, from campaigners and organisers across the African continent. Uh, we know that, you know, here the, the costs of climate change are being measured in, in rising hunger and in entrenched poverty, and it's really important for all our decision makers to be here to understand that. And Australia's case, I mean, we are back at the table, but we've got a long way still to go to be driving down our emissions, getting off coal and gas and doing our part in supporting the most vulnerable communities around the world. So we've got Chris Bowen there and uh, Pat Conroy. That's the case? That's right. Yes, they're, they're both here next week. And Pat has said of uh, the absentee Prime Minister, it is important for him to be in Australia for Parliament, and then immediately after that he'll be meeting leaders at the G20 in Bali and then the East Asia Summit and the APEC Summit. Nonetheless, speaking for myself, I wish he'd, I wish he'd made the trip. Now, staying with you, Simon, action on climate change is becoming ever more urgent every moment. And uh, you recently released a report which said that extreme weather records were broken on every continent in the last 12 months. Yes, it's been a terrifying 12 months and many Australians, of course, have really felt the brunt of climate change with the floods down the east coast. But Pakistan has also suffered through one of its worst ever flooding disasters uh, here in Africa, uh, up in the east. There's been many years of prolonged drought and higher temperatures, pushing millions to the brink of starvation. And then on other parts of the continent, we've had, had deadly floods. The reality is we are living through an age of climate consequences and nobody's immune but it's those communities that have contributed the least to the crisis that are really paying the biggest price and one of the biggest and most important things on the agenda here is to finally agree new funding to address loss and damage from climate change well we'll, cir we'll circle back to that shortly back mm. to you vanessa uganda has experienced terrible flooding and droughts this year but you recently travelled to Kenya with UNICEF. Can you tell us about that trip and what you saw there? Yes, please. Um, the climate crisis is definitely evident in countries like Uganda and in Kenya as well. So this year in September, I spent a few days with UNICEF in Turkana County 
in the Horn of Africa. And I got to meet with people who are suffering from the historic drought that is affecting so many communities. Turkana County and other parts of the Horn of Africa have suffered four consecutive failed rainy seasons. And this means that, you know, the crops of the people have been killed. There is no pasture for the livestock and the water sources are drying up everywhere. And we also know that the focus suggests that the next rains are likely to fail too. So many people are, you know, suffering as a result of this drought because it's depriving, you know, so families of clean water. It's depriving families of, you know, food and livelihoods and also access to health services. Because in that, I got to spend time, you know, with some of the mothers who are trying to keep their children alive who are trying to find food and, you know, water to sustain their families. I got to visit hospitals where children with severe acute malnutrition are referred and treated. And there, one story that I, you know, that stayed with me was a story of a young boy that I met and he was suffering as a, as a result of severe acute malnutrition. It was devastating to see that a child has to suffer this way. And unfortunately, his family wasn't able to access the proper services in time for him to receive the treatment that he, that, that, that he needed at that time. And, you know, by the time the son said that evening, he had passed away. So it's really sad to see that children have to die and, you know, communities have to suffer as a result of the climate crisis. This this echoes what you said to us in uh, in March, the, you know, the the particular impact on women and children, and as UNICEF's new goodwill ambassador, that's what you saw in Kenya, Vanessa. At the same time, there's an even bigger push for fossil fuel projects in Africa, particularly because of the war in Ukraine. Is that the case? Well, um, we we know that the current energy crisis is not just happening in Europe. In countries like Uganda, businesses and families are also being hit by very high and unstable prices for oil and gas. And, you know, it's really important to know that the current energy system, which is reliant on fossil fuels, it is not working for the people, but it's only working for big corporations. With the, you know, the volatile oil and gas prices, they're causing so much pain around the world in many other countries, you know, not just countries in the West. So I think that, you know, the solution that we have or the solution that we need is renewable energy because renewable energy is more reliable, it is cheaper, and it is cleaner than oil and gas. So, you know, for communities not just in, you know, in Uganda or across the African continent, the world needs the transition to renewable energy. I also know that there is a destruction of, you know, the need for gas um, you know, in Africa. But it's important to know that gas is a dangerous destruction because decades of fossil fuel, you know, infrastructure development, they have done little to help the millions of people, uh, around 600 million in sub-Saharan Africa, who, you know, don't have access to basic electricity. Simon, now's the time to talk about the issue you started to raise before about compensation for loss and damage. 
Yes, look, that is certainly a critical issue at this COP. It's a very big priority for the, the Pacific region. Um, the reality is that due to decades of ignoring the scientific warnings or too slow action by big polluters, and we include Australia there, we are seeing the consequences of climate change play out in uh, land um, lost to rising seas, in harvests wiped out in a single stroke, impacts not just on physical security, but on uh, people's connection to, to land and sea country that's persisted for many, many millennia. And I think we are seeing this really come to a head at this COP. Uh, we're seeing some very effective, very forceful advocacy from communities on the front lines of the climate crisis. And it's absolutely essential we be listening to those, to Pacific peoples, to First Nations in Australia, and to uh, people around the world who are really bearing the brunt of these consequences. There's so much Australia can do, not only by moving beyond coal and gas at home, supporting the world's energy transition. We've just heard from Vanessa how much we can achieve through renewable energy to reduce poverty, to ensure energy security. There's a whole lot more we can be doing there. But we absolutely now do have to reckon with the need to provide additional finance to communities to deal with the loss and damage that we face. Vanessa, last year you made a powerful call for decolonised climate solutions. What would that look like? Well, um, I think for me, decolonising climate solutions is having, you know, communities involved in the climate solutions. It is looking at what is really climate justice and what is really climate action. It's important to know that not all climate action is you know climate justice and we need to prioritize climate justice and that is that that is what will enable that we have solutions solutions that are agreed on by the communities solutions that have the communities leading i can give an example you know the Many people are so excited about electric vehicles, for example, but we know that in many, uh, in some parts of the world, it will mean more child labor, more, you know, violence on women and girls who have to work to get the much needed minerals for those vehicles. So it's really understanding that if we are saying uh, this is a, a, a climate action, does it amount to climate justice? So for me, decolonizing is having communities involved and also having communities lead these solutions. Simon, how hopeful are you about what might be achieved in Egypt? Well, I think what happens here is not the be-all and end-all of responding to climate change. That community-led action that Vanessa was talking about is so critical as well. I think these conferences can be painfully so frustrating. They're hugely important in building momentum in, in justice for um, communities through the provision of finance. But I think we have to see when we get a bit of solution here, some of the things happening in the real world led from the bottom up that are you know, building a more resilient future and a climate smart future. We do know we can't make the same mistakes we've made in the past when pursuing climate solutions. So I think when we look at that whole picture, if we get some stronger agreements coming out of here and then we couple that with the real world action we see, there's always uh, reason for optimism. But we have really brought ourselves to the precipice. And if we don't see transformative action now, if it's not just community-led action, then we are looking at a difficult future. But, but always reasons to be optimistic. We've been saying that. We've been talking about that precipice for decades. 
You're not wrong, Philip. And I think we have entered a region, a, an era, sorry, where we're seeing the consequences of that inaction uh, play out uh, very dramatically and the, with a very serious human cost. We are also seeing now incredible movements of individuals across the global south, all parts of the world, taking matters into their own hands and reinventing the future. And I think we need to be following that leadership of communities on the front lines of the climate crisis while doing everything we can to hold leaders to account in these forums. And of course, after COP27, after <laughs> COP we all need to make sure governments stick to their promises and hold them accountable. I think we've got to wrap it up and I thank you both very, very much for coming on. Vanessa, a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you again. I've been, you've heard the voice of Vanessa Nakate. Vanessa is an extraordinarily effective climate justice advocate, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador and author of A Bigger Picture, My Right to Bring a New African Voice to the Climate Crisis and the World Needs to Hear That Voice. And thank you to Simon Bradshaw, the good doctor, is research director at the Climate Council. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.